You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about Grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. We're going to this book of John, right? And we've been walking through this together, and it's super fun. And I, I like, I truly love this book. And we're going to be in, in John chapter 13 today. If you have a Bible and you want to open there and just kind of thumbprint it or bookmark it, we'll come back to it. But um, Jesus does some cool things. I think we see that. And, and I think we see that power is attractive. And Jesus does some powerful things, right? I mean, he, he brings uh, life back where there was death, and he makes, you know, feeds 5,000 people with one little Captain D's deal, and he, he like, turns water into wine at parties, and everyone loves that. And so what we see with Jesus is power is attractive. And so Jesus, at this point in his ministry, is beginning to draw a crowd because people want to be around that sort of thing. So before I jump into John 13, I want to set the scene for today with John chapter 12. And it says this, John 12, 12, the next day, uh, and this was the next day, meaning after he, I think he just healed Lazarus. We saw Lazarus, brought Lazarus back to life. The next day, the great crowd that, that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Okay. So Jesus is coming into town. He's coming into Jerusalem, which is the center of power in the, in the universe at this point in time. And Jesus is riding in there, and he's coming like a hero. And there's all these people who are following him. And they've lined the streets. And some of you guys grew up in a church where you saw kids with palm branches. There was like a Palm Sunday. You remember that? We don't do that. But like, you know what I'm talking about. They wave the little branches. So they're shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. And they're like, you're the king. And, and everyone's so excited. Jesus has fed 5,000 people. And the symbolism behind the number 5,000 isn't random. 5,000 is the number of people in a Roman legion, okay? A Roman legion of the army at that time. So when he's fed 5,000 people and he's leading an army and he's coming in like a rock star, right? And everyone is just fired up. It's a big time coming into Jerusalem. And it, I think you can make an argument that Jesus is probably the most powerful, influential man in the city at this point in time. I mean, there's, no, there's nobody like him right there. So he's got all this power. But I think what we begin to see as we keep going through the book of John is Jesus didn't use his power in the way everyone expected. And this is like a common theme of Jesus, right? Everyone always expected something, but what they got was always different, and it was always better. Y'all remember at, at the wedding when they ran out of wine, they expected him to make wine. But I guess his mom did, but no one else did. They didn't expect it to be the best wine they'd ever had. What Jesus gave them was better than they expected. When the 5,000 people showed up, none of his disciples thought he could feed them. They expected a hungry, angry crowd, and Jesus gave them better than they could expect it. When the people came back wanting more bread, Jesus said, I'm not going to give you any more bread. I'll give you something else. Eat my flesh. And they're like, we didn't expect that. <laughs> Don't want that. They wanted Jews to drink my blood. And they're like, ah. It's always not what you expect. Every time Jesus shows up, he gives them what they did not expect. He gives them something different. He gives them something better. All right, so Jesus is... is Ridden into Jerusalem, big thing going on. Now let's jump into John 13. I'll get to the scripture in just a second. So Jesus and his boys are gathered up in this little upper room now. So he's ridden in, he's rock star, everybody's talking. They've gone away to kind of a quiet place up in this upper room. It's just Jesus and his boys now. Imagine you're in this room, guys. Use your imagination. You're sitting in the room with the most powerful man you have ever known, okay? 
You're at the party and you're with the DJ. Like that's how big of a deal this is. I mean, he, he's in the room and you're, you're Andrew, you're Thomas, you're Peter. And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah, like, we're about to get this thing, right? And we're about to do some things. I mean, they, they were expecting him to overthrow the Romans. They, they were expecting him to empower an army. They were expecting him to rise up. I mean, they had seen what he can do. You know, they were expecting feed 5,000. We're about to throw some lightning bolts. This is like all the X-Men rolled into one, but better, right? I mean, everyone in the room has massive expectations because they are with the most powerful man in the room. And when you're with the most powerful person in the room and the whole world's against you, what do you think you're going to do? You think you're going to win. You're like, all right, now we got him. Let's get him, Jesus. First, John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, so hold on. I want to keep this on. And I need some audience participation at this point, okay? It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Does anyone know the Hebrew translation of all things? Bingo. Wow, that's amazing. All. So, so ergo facto, who is, who is the most powerful man in the room? A little more enthusiasm. It's church. You can say Jesus out loud. Who's the most powerful man in the room? Jesus. Who's the smartest man in the room? Jesus. Who, who's the highest moral standard in the room? Who's the most righteous person in the room? Jesus. All right, good, good, good. Keep that in mind. Y'all are really good at this. And Jesus is in the room, and he's passionate, and he's got an agenda, and he's got a priority, and it's probably different than everybody else in the room because they're expecting something, and they're about to get something different. So Jesus is, is the smartest person in the room. He's the most powerful person in the room. He's the most righteous person in the room, and he has a different passion and a different agenda and a different priority than everyone else in the room. And everyone in the room is waiting because they know with Jesus they are going to win. Right? Are you with me? All right, this is such a fun story. Now let's go to what happens. Because I'm not 100% sure what they were expecting, but I'm 100% sure what they got was different. John 13, I think it's verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under, under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are, are, you, are you washing feet? Don't you know how powerful you are? Don't you know you're the baddest dude in this room? Lord, are you, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, you're not washing my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew what was going to happen and the one who was going to betray him. That's why he said not everyone was clean. Okay. Let's go back to our previous questions. Who was the most powerful man in the room? Jesus. Who has all the authority in the room? Jesus. Who's the most morally superior person in the room? Jesus. 
Who has a different priority, a different passion, and a different purpose than everyone else in the room? And what's he do with that power? Wash their stinking feet. (laughs) Exactly what no one in the room ever expected. He got down on his, this was the most powerful man in the room, right? Got down on his hands and knees and he washed their stinking feet. He knew his position. He knew who he was. He didn't hide from his power. He talked about it a lot. But what we see with Jesus is is the proper way to use power. He didn't use his power for his privilege. Instead, he humbled himself and elevated those around him. His power was displayed in love, not just through authority. It was different than what they expected. It was better. He washed the feet of the people he disagreed with the most. Guys, Jesus is the holiest. I mean, he's God. And he's surrounded by humans, knowing their human thoughts and their human desires. And and he has to be so offended by the unholiness that's around him. But instead of taking time to tell everyone how unholy they are, he gets on his hands and knees and washes their stinking feet. And so when I was reading this part of the story, my question became this. And it's my question for you, and it's my question for me today. Are you willing to wash the feet publicly of the people you disagree with the most? Yeah, Facebook doesn't say so. <laughs> Are you willing to wash the feet? No, because this is what Jesus is doing. It's public. It's public. He's not, he's not sending them a cute little direct message behind the scenes. Hey, good luck. Are you, are you willing to wash? Think, think about your, your greatest passion. Whatever your, your highest political platform is, whatever the thing is you're the most passionate about, are you willing to wash the feet of the people on the other side of the aisle from you? Because I, I, I can tell you this, I think for most of us, if we're honest, most of the time, the answer has been no. And, and so I think what, what we're going to see in this story today is if we're not willing to wash the feet of the people we disagree with the most, if we're not willing to, and but wa- foot washing is obviously a metaphor. I don't mean literally washing their feet, maybe, but like if we're not willing to, to serve, to honor, to respect, to listen to, to love, if we're not willing to do those things publicly with the people we disagree with the absolute most, then I'm willing to say this, we don't just have a conflict with them, we have a conflict with him. And I think it's spelled out right here in the story. By the way, happy Father's Day. John 13, let's, let's, let's keep going. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. I love that he returned to his place. What was his place? Teacher. He said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay, I, I read this this week, and you know what my first thought was? I don't think he's kidding. Like, I think he's being serious here. I think when he says, I want you to do as I have done, I don't think he's thinking, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of get in just some groups and talk about it. Maybe kind of decide if that works for you. 
And I don't think he's going, okay, everybody but you, because I know you're right on your thing, and your thing is the most important thing, and I get that. I don't think that's what he's thinking. I think what he's saying is, if I'm translating this correctly, and I feel like I am because it's in English in my Bible, I think what he's saying is, I want you to do what I have done. I want you to love them the way I'm loving you. And, and, and I was reading this, and I, then I took a little stroll on social media to see how we were doing. Did y'all know there's a, uh, there's a gun debate right now? Does anyone know this? I don't know if you guys know this. There's kind of a debate going on around guns right now. Um, I don't know if y'all have seen it. It's out there. There's a whole conversation going on around guns. Um, and, and I begin to think, I don't really care what your stance is, but I think God does care how we talk to each other about this. I think he cares what we're saying about people who don't share our political view or our point of view on this thing. Matter of fact, I'm not so sure he doesn't care more about the people than he does about your position. Chirp, chirp, chirp. <laughs> nah. Verse 13. He says, you call me teacher, and rightly so, for that's who I am. You call me teacher, and rightfully so. He says, I, I have the moral high ground. Everywhere Jesus went, he was the most moral person in the room. Everywhere Jesus went, he was the right person in the room. Everywhere Jesus went, he had the moral high ground. Everywhere Jesus went, whatever his political passion was, whatever his agenda was, it was the right passion and agenda. Everywhere he went, he was right, okay? He says, you call me teacher, rightfully so, because I am always right. But then it says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should now do for each other. And so I want to read this because I wrote it and it just like burned my heart. And I'm about to tell you why, but I'm, I'm going to read y'all a line here. Our unwillingness to be kind, to pray for, to serve, to honor, and to speak respectfully to those who disagree with us is evidence that we in fact have considered ourselves greater than our master. And guys, I, be I believe that. I believe that with my heart. Our willingness, our, our unwillingness to serve, to love, to protect, to pray for, to listen to people who don't agree with us has shown us that we actually believe we are greater than our master, if, if John has any validity in our life. I'll tell you all a funny story. It wasn't funny at the time. Um, I, I was at my buddy's house. Uh, this was about three, yeah, I guess about two years ago, three years ago. It was, it was like political tension was at its peak, right? I mean, the corona was thing was going on and everything was just, there was this mask arguments and there was vaccine arguments. And again, I, it doesn't matter what's up, but it was at the pinnacle. And so I'm at my buddy's house and one of our other buddies uh, had just come in from uh, out of town. And this is a kid I like, I knew, we partied together in college. We knew each other like we were friends, okay? And he comes into town and we're sitting at the table at my, at my good buddy's house. And we're having this conversation and somehow it begins to move into politics and, uh, like, he and I probably agree on 99.9% .9 of all political things. We found the point one. <laughs> we found the point one that we didn't agree on. And, and he, he, he's asked me about something, and I responded to something, and his response to me was, and I quote, well, then you are an idiot. And so he escalated. And I, being the good pastor that I am, also escalated. <laughs> Right? Because I was right. 
No, I, I was right. I was, I was biblically right in the conversation. I was morally right. I was intellectually right. I was even a better arguer right. I was debatably right. I was right. I was so right in the conversation. And so we're going back and forth. Now, now it's just getting blah, 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 blah. And it's getting like heated. And he is literally telling me how stupid I am. And I am maintaining my poison. Like if you ever get in an argument with me, you'll be so frustrated because you won't rattle me. But I'll start becoming like lawyer talk, like twisting everything you say back on you without ever actually changing my tone. Super frustrating. And so this guy, is, it got so bad, his wife was in another room who I had never met before in my life. This, guys, this is a true story. She walks in the room and starts dog cussing me. You don't know what you're talking, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just go. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I wanted to say, ma'am, do you not realize how right I am? Because I'm, I'm right. <laughs> and I, I was. I was right. I was back in shock. I was biblically right. I was politically right. I was morally right. I was ethically right. What I was not was righteous. In my rightness, I lost the chance to be righteous. I was so right that I looked nothing like Jesus. I was so right that I lost the opportunity to win a soul because for me, my political thing was more important than the person I was talking to. I was right. I wasn't righteous. I got in my car and I called my buddy and I was crying because I, I, I knew what I had done. I knew I had separated someone from the kingdom. I didn't know where this guy stood with Jesus. I didn't take time to know that because I was winning. I was, I was crying. I was like, I am sorry. I apologized to him, his wife, his wife's mama, anybody I could think of. I mean, I was just, I was devastated. And the whole car ride home, I was just thinking, Jesus, I am so sorry. And as I was apologizing to Jesus, not once did he say, it's okay, you were right. I missed the chance. My pride, my political persuasion, my position was elevated over the person. And when that happens, the kingdom loses no matter how right you are. It's, it's just the truth. And then Jesus gives us this horrific command in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as they have loved you. Isn't that what it says? It, oh my goodness, there's a glitch. It says love one another as, oh, love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus loved me by laying down his life for me. And then it says, by this, by this, by our willingness to love each other as he has loved us, by this, not by our rightness, not by our vote, not by what we, by this, by this, they will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, not the way one another loves one another, but if you love one another the way that I have loved you, by getting down on my hands and knees, even when I was right, and washing your stinking feet, and that's the way we're supposed to love one another. And again, guys, I've looked all week for a loophole. Can't find it. John 12, 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single reed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. I love that verse so much. Sometimes something has to die for it to produce fruit. 
And I think what has to die most often in my life is pride, is my rightness. And I know what, I know what every single one of us is thinking. Not my issue, Tommy. You're right about the Democrats. You're right about the Republicans. You're right about the people who have. You're right about the people who But not me. And my response is, you and me. Whatever the issue is that's the highest one in your life, that is the one where I believe God wants you to wash the feet of the people on the other side. I believe this. This is, and I know we think, well, isn't there a time to stand and fight? When do we stand and fight? Yes, we, now's the time to stand and fight. But do you know how we stand and fight? Washing feet and laying down our lives. Don't you think when Jesus was on that cross, everyone out there thought, well, there goes a loser. But we know the truth, don't we? What looks like a loss in this world can be a massive victory in the kingdom. And sometimes you have to let some things die for those things to spread the fruit that actually changes lives. And it's hard. And it's challenging because what you're passionate about is important. So many times God planted that passion in you. But Jesus would use his, his moral understanding and his love to actually open doors, to break boundaries so that he could... We, we spend so much time disconnecting people from ourselves by being so verbose and crazy about what we think is right that we never get the chance to talk to people who don't know Jesus. We alienate them from ourselves. When if we would learn to serve and, and learn to change our tone... We might just open doors and something righteous might happen. And so here's, here's my challenge to you this week. It's my challenge to me. It's my challenge to all of us. How can you wash the feet of the people you disagree with the most this week? If you're willing. Because if you're not willing to, just admit that you've elevated yourself above the master. We've all been there. We denied it, but we've been there. But the challenge is what can you do for whatever your most passionate thing is? How can you love Respect, serve the person on the other side of the aisle from you. I got some tips for you. Um, number one would be zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. That's a good one sometimes. Uh, knowing when not to speak, I think, is a good one. The other one is, and this is one I've got to work on, uh, and it just hit me when they were back there singing, he is worthy of it all. I have to be careful how I speak of the other side in front of my children. Dads, let me talk to dads. This Father's Day, why not? It's one thing what we're going to do in public, but when we're in our home, how stupid are the people on the other side who don't think what we think? And when we do that, we're not teaching our kids a Jesus ethic. We're teaching them an ethic of this world. We're teaching them our political ethic, which won't save their soul. And so maybe we empathize. Maybe we just start by empathizing. And it's, you don't have to let go of your position to hear someone else's. You don't have to lose your ground to love someone else. But how far are you willing to go to wash the feet of the people who disagree with you the most? And as you sort of chew that up for today and think about how far you're willing to go, let me just tell you this. I, I don't know how far I'm willing to go, and I don't know how far you're willing to go, but I know how far he went. And so is your position greater than the person? And is your agenda greater than your master? These are the choices we have to make, guys. And one choice will turn the world on to Jesus. Another choice will shut the door.
can be right. I think it's more important that we're righteous. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.